What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 81, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Light. We're an independent podcast. Uh, you can help keep the thing independent. Uh, we got a little, so we got ourselves a little Patreon over there on the side. It's walking through the star. No, it's not. It's patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, dollars received are going to offset the cost of Zach's new computing device. Thank you so much to everyone who has signed up. Um, it is fantastic that you're supporting the show. We really do appreciate it a lot. We've got several tiers available. We'll get into that in just a second, but uh, just want to let you all know there's a little bit of an update that we got coming up uh, about the Patreon rewardy aspect. Uh, and then just as a general reminder to all y'all, um, if slash when you decide to uh, start shucking bucks our way, uh, that was a f- strange way to say it, and I'm glad I didn't screw that one up because I that was dangerously close, Zach. I I totally could have replaced a couple of uh, consonants and would have ended up way wrong. It'd been terrible. That's true. Uh, But if you want to support the show, uh, we do have several tiers available. Um, And if we get enough donors to uh, hit a goal of uh, $75 a month, we've got ourselves a little uh, side project that we're willing to dive into. Watching the, uh, apparently the uh, critically acclaimed and uh, well-renowned Stargate series, uh, Infinity. Uh, rumor has it that it is uh, quite possibly the best uh, Stargate content that one could possibly watch. That uh, when a person watches it, they are literally transformed. Uh, literally, uh, they they were one person and now they are somebody else. Um, uh, I <laughs> hope that that transformation is a positive one. Uh, but there's only one way that I'm going to be engaging with it. And that is if uh, we hit that tier. So jump on that stuff. But importantly... If you say to yourself, Psh, I'm not going to be a shill, don't worry. Our content will remain wide open and available on all the major podcasty spots, uh, Google Play Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcasts, on your podcast aggregator. Uh, and uh, also, I have forgotten to mention a couple times, I haven't checked in a bit, uh, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we will do a dramatic recreation. We've done a few of those. They're pretty fun. I li- well, I like them. They take a lot of time, but you know, I think they're pretty fun. But hey. I enjoy them. Thank you. Um, so, Zach, if somebody wants to uh, let me know if they enjoy that work too, uh, they can do that in a variety of ways. But how how might they how might they reach out and tell us? So you can get a hold of us in a lot of different ways. Uh, one, you can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking and talk to us there. Uh, that's a platform that we are really good at not being good at. Yeah. Um, Thanks to we me. We also have Facebook, which is Walking Through the Stargate uh, Facebook page and the Facebook group. We are much better at being less bad there. Uh, Thanks to Zach. And then, of course, we have email at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-E-T at gmail.com. <laughs> kind of slurred a couple yeah, of words in there, say- but that's okay. <laughs> anyway. I got them all in there. I was just practicing my legato. They, oh, that's, I see. Okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, in any case, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com and talk to us there. We've actually had quite a number of people email us, and uh, we haven't had a chance quite to respond to everything there. Uh, we do try to respond as best we can, mm-hmm. uh, but we make no promises on any of that. Uh, of course, we also have the the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash walkingthroughthestargate for that. Um, 
Brent mentioned that you can help us with that. Uh, we do have several tiers for you if you want to join in with that. We have a $3 Gate Jogger tier. That gives you a shout-out and a uh, one vote a month to help us do the rewatch. Uh, I'll talk about that rewatch here in just a little bit. $10 Gate Sprinters gives you five votes for a month for uh, that rewatch and a thank you and all that stuff. Uh if you want to give us $25 a month, we will happily take your money. Yes. Um, uh, and that gives you 15 votes a month for a rewatch. How does all that work? When an episode gets 20 votes and these Patreon folks get to vote for these episodes, when an episode gets 20 votes, we will rewatch that episode and produce an episode, a podcast for the Patreon viewer listeners first uh, that will eventually get out to the rest of the regular feed, but it'll go straight to the Patreon folks first, and they'll get a chance to listen to and engage in those rewatch episodes. Uh, and to that end, we do have an update on our episode tallies. Yeah. For that. The episode Emancipation from Season 1 has Boom. one vote. If that gets mm-hmm. up to 20 votes, we oh, will no. rewatch that episode. <laughs> uh, Thor's Chariot has five votes. Whoa. Touchstone has two. A Matter of Time and 100 Days each have one vote. And Tangent, from that's the most recent episode that we've done just a few weeks ago, Tangent has three votes. Wow. Uh, so that's our episode tally. And as that shifts each month, we will keep you in the loop as to what's happening there. So you Patreon folks, uh, you have a list of that. And uh, feel free to conspire with one another to get those episodes going. Uh, That's perfectly fine with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, Um, mostly fine. Well, you know, there's Emancipation, which is just a hoot. Uh, It's a something. a holler, and it's it's wonderful. (laughs) It's exciting. Uh, Uh, So there you go. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see Brent suffer through emancipation again, and and frankly, me too, no. uh, then you can vote for emancipation. <laughs> you probably can. won't change how we think about the episode, nope, but you not. can make us do that. Um, uh, but, you know, who knows? Let us know what that is. And as Brent said before, if we get to uh, $75 a month, we will uh, begin that uh, monthly podcast of uh, the Stargate Infinity uh, animated series. Yeah. So terrible. Wonderful, Brent. It's it's the best Stargate <laughs> out there. You said so. Uh I say a lot of things, Zach. <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say anything, Brent. <laughs> okay. Enough about that. Should we dig into this episode of The Light? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this episode is Directed by Peter F. West. Uh, This is his second episode as a director. He did Maternal Instinct in Season 3. He has a total of 11 directing credits over the series. Uh, So this is second of 11. Uh, And uh, these are his only directing credits. He's mostly known as a cinematographer, director of photography, and all that stuff. uh, but uh, he's credited as the director of photography for 94 episodes of Stargate SG-1, which is uh, almost half of them. So there you go, Peter. Yeah. Um, in addition to Stargate, he also worked on TV shows Neon Rider in 92 era and Sliders in 95. The teleplay for this episode is by James Phillips. And this is a brand new name for us in the Stargate universe. This is 
James's first episode teleplay for SG-1. Okay. It's also his only episode of Stargate SG-1. So, So you don't have to worry about him coming back unless you want to worry about him coming back, but either way, he won't. Ah, well, okay. Um, So, for the past 20 years or so, he's been a writer for TV and movies. Uh, Some of the things that he's done was a Cold Squad from 2001 to 2005, Whistler in 2007, The Guard in 2008 and 9, Outrageous Births, Tales from the Crib in 2015, uh, and other things. His very first (laughs) writing credit, Brent, came in 2001 when he wrote a single episode in the relatively small independent TV series from Canada called Stargate SG-1. Wait a minute. This is literally his first time writing? Well, okay, so this is his first IMDb credit. Ah, I see. So I see. I, I I will just leave that. I mean, I can pull that up and we can look at that some more if you want. Nah, um, but uh, yeah, if, uh, what we got going on here is that uh, if, if, if his first writing credit came in 2001 when he wrote a single episode for a small independent TV series from Canada called Stargate SG-1, then that uh, tells, tells me a good amount. Kind of, kind of keep my cards to my chest a little bit, but there you go. Okay, all right. Well, you can keep your cards to your chest as much as you want. Um, Yep. Uh, So he was. I'm just reviewing again. Um, Yeah, yeah. This is the absolute first thing that he has on IMDb. Um, He was uh, born in '72. uh, Just to toss that out into the universe. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, we do have a guest actor that's worth noting in this episode. Mm-hmm. We have Christian Eyre, who played Lauren. Uh, he was born uh, in Bolton, Lan- Lancashire, England, on November 19, 1977. Uh, I find that kind of interesting for me because November 19 is the day that my brother was born, not in ah. 1977, uh, but he was born on the 19th of November. Uh, and 1977 is my birth year. So ah. he is just a smidge older than I am. And mm-hmm. now you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Uh, he moved <laughs> to Canada at the age of three. His first American role was in Andre in 1994, where he played a character named Gerald. Other notable roles for him was Harvey Johnson in Bye Bye Birdie in 95. Strick in the Ghost Rider Mysteries in 97, and Tommy in Nothing Too Good for a Cowboy in 1998, uh, Canadian series. One of his most notable roles is in Radu in Space Cases in 96. There you Uh, go. So all of those is when he was relatively young. Um, Now, while Andre was his first American credit, his very first credit came in 1992 when he played Kirk in a... In a uh, relish, relatively, I have no idea what I have relishes here. This is clearly an autocorrect <laughs> on my page here. <laughs> relishes. Uh, <laughs> when he played relishes. Anyway, it, it was a TV series called Neon Rider, and he well, played Kirk in an episode of. Well, that. wait a minute. That was uh, that was so. But Peter Peter West directed. No, he worked on, in addition to Stargate, he worked on the TV show's Neon Rider in 92. So there's a connection there. There is a connection. You know what? I didn't notice that. 
Well, I mean, the word the the words neon writer, like I mean, like I was sitting there thinking to myself, wow, that is a early '90s idea, isn't that like you know neon writer? I mean, it looks like you know, it's. I wonder if it's like Tron like light bikes or something. Uh, oh, it, but, you it know, certainly write, could be writing the neon. Yeah. Um, but suffice it to say, my point in, in that as I was typing the the one up with uh, uh, Peter West and then typing this up with Christian Air, um, I didn't make that connection, <laughs> and I should have, and I just find that <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, when Christian's not acting, he likes to relax with a rather unusual hobby. Uh, he's a falconer. He likes to Ooh. handle falcons and other birds of prey and let them fly around his head and then land on his yeah. arm without killing him. Mm-hmm. So, right. yay, go team. Um, this episode, The Light, originally aired on January 26, 2001. In the U.S., they were still listening to Independent Women Part 1. Still. Uh, it's apparently for a very long Part 1. They haven't gotten to Part 2 yet. Mm, I, Maybe there isn't a part Is there two. a Part 2? I, may, I can't I recall. I have no idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, they were listening to Limp Bizkit as he was singing Rollin'. Yeah. Oh, boy. I remember this um, one. So, uh, well, that makes 50% of the, the hosts of this uh-huh. podcast remember that. So then, uh, but that means, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll cue it up, um, and okay. uh, you can go ahead and uh, roll through the box office uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Rollin'. I, I do plan to roll through the bo- box office with this. Uh, with okay, this here you one. go. Uh, the Wedding Planner. Uh, was number one. Brand new uh, movie at this point in time. And of course, when you're the wedding planner, one of the things you have to do is you have to save the last dance for the right people, which was number two. And the people who don't get that last dance dance really, really realistically. They get cast away. We don't really care about them a whole lot. They get just chucked out of the wedding and into the street where they have to deal with traffic, which is number four. And while they're in the forest, they're just listening to the Spice Girls, Sugar and Spice and, and all of that stuff. That's number five. Because what else are you going to do if you're in traffic? Get out of the way? <laughs> Maybe it's Nicely a really, done. really small town, and by traffic, they mean, like, there you go. a scooter. Yeah. A tractor. <laughs> a tractor. You know, moving it at, like, five miles an hour. And yep. Yeah. Okay. So, what happened uh, at this time in 2001? On January mm-hmm. 22nd, mm-hmm. the British government launches a pro-vaccine campaign, which, mm. go Brits, uh, and I have to throw that positive one in there because the rest of these are not very positive. Um, oh, January 23, the Chinese Communist Party stages a self-immolation in Tiananmen Square to frame Falun Gong and escalate the persecution of their folks at that time. Whoa. Holy smokes. Dang. Yeah. Um, in January, on January 24th, the Northern Ireland Secretary Peter Mandelson resigns. Mm. Uh, I'm not certain what all the details of that is, but uh, uh, there you have it. On the 26th, this is the day this episode airs, Mm -hmm. an earthquake hits uh, Gujarat, India, causing more than 20,000 deaths. Yowzers. Mm -hmm. And finally, two days after this episode aired, we have Super Bowl 35 at Raymond James Stadium, Tampa, Florida, between the Baltimore Ravens and the New York Giants. And the Ravens 
crush the Giants 34-7 <laughs> with uh, Ray Lewis, the Baltimore linebacker, being the MVP of the Super Bowl. Gotcha. Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. So, we have some trivia for this episode. Yeah. Teal'c reveals that his age in this episode is 101 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he'll turn 102 in 47 days. Mm-hmm. Now, if one assumes that January 26th is, you know, more or less the same, uh, you know, <laughs> to that, then his uh, birth, that would put his birth date on the Earth calendar as March 14, 1899. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I do want to so point Zach, out here. Yes. Do people celebrate the birthday of Teal'c? Is that a thing? I have no idea if they do or not. <laughs> uh, I, I So now I'm going to start looking it up because I'm slowly turning into a fanboy. So uh, Ooh, I'll have, yeah, to, there I'll you have go. to investigate that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do want to point out here that in the recut of the pilot episode, Children of the Gods, there is a mm-hmm. scene where Teal'c is talking to, I think, O'Neill as they're departing the complex where they were in prison. And he mentions his age. And I don't remember what exactly it says, but I seem to think that it was ah. a lot bigger than 101. Uh, now, in the original pilot, that scene wasn't there. That had been cut. So uh, yeah, okay. this establishes that. But uh, now I want to go back and rewatch that origin- that, that uh, recut of that and see if this matches yeah. or if there's a problem right? there. If, if there says, is a problem, I yeah. say, that's the problem, not this. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are enough problems with this episode as it is. We don't need to add one more. <laughs> Spoilers, Zach. Spoilers. <laughs> so, uh, so after uh, Daniel uh, attempts to uh, kill himself uh, after his depressive uh, drug withdrawal, mm-hmm. O'Neill suggests that they re- revisit the planet uh, wearing Mop 2 protective gear. Uh, however, when they get to the planet, they are actually wearing MOP level three protective mm, gear. Okay. Uh, and so somewhere in there, they decided that uh, MOP two wasn't good enough. They needed to get, uh, ramp up to you MOP step three. Step it up a notch. And mm-hmm. then, of course, they walk through the gate. They're like, smells fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're and, good. And they, we're good. And they remove the, 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 the gear. Now, uh, on the commentary, they did note that... Uh, they had to do something there because having them wander around the rest of that episode with the Mop Three gear uh, sure. would not have been acceptable, you know. And no. and I get that. So uh, there you go. Yep. Um, the commentary also suggests that Lauren uh, was supposed to be about fourteen or fifteen years old. However, mm-hmm. Christian, uh, when he was uh, the was he was about twenty three at this time when this episode yeah. aired. Yeah, he looked a lot um, older. Yep. Um, now, it, it is worth noting that this episode did win a Leo Award for Best Production mm. Design of a Dramatic Series. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could which see Which I totally mm-hmm. buy that because the special effects mm-hmm. for the light and how that worked and, and the, the yep. physical light that was on the actors and the digital light that was put in yeah. there in the post, it is astounding. I'm going to make some make yes. fun of it here in a little bit, but <laughs> it is actually amazing work here. Um and then finally, um, I asked the question 
tongue-in-cheek a little bit here. Uh, what becomes of Lauren once he's brought to Earth? We don't really care. Nah. Uh, but this does make at least the third alien child living yeah. on Earth. Oh, wow. We have Cassandra, who is living yes. with uh, uh, Dr. Frazier. We have Nyan from the New Ground episode. That's when uh, you know he was that archaeologist from that other planet. Oh, that's right. Um, and he's there running around. I don't know if I would quite call him an alien kid. He was certainly young, but somebody who was doing what he was doing had to have been right. uh, at least in his early 20s. Correct. Uh, whereas uh, Cassandra was definitely a kid. like 8 or 9 or 10 at that point in time. And Lauren is at least supposed to be early teens. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, Gateworld... Uh, .net poses the question, does the SGC need to start an alien halfway house? <laughs> <And> <laughs> who knows? Maybe they should. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, when we look at this episode in other languages, uh -huh. we have the French, the Italian, the Spanish, the Czech, the Germans, the Hungarians, all of them naming this episode The Light. Okay. All right. Even the Germans. Even the Germans. Say... Das Licht, which is well. Delight. I mean, I guess you could still kind of justify it by saying that you know, while the episode was not actually about the light, well, it kind of it wasn't. It was it, yes. Anyway, I'm. So, uh, yeah, Zach. Maybe we should uh, talk. Okay. Uh, maybe we should get into this episode. Okay. So, are you ready for the synopsis for the light? Let's do it. Here we go. This week on a very special episode of Stargate SG-1, the team discovers that drugs are bad. Unless you're going to die. And then drugs are an acceptable side effect until such time as you won't die. So remember, kids, drugs are bad. Oh, and when you're high, don't look at a lava lamp. You'll go hungry. The end? <laughs> I seriously thought about that. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Carter is Carry preparing down. to go to P4X 347 along with Lieutenant Barber from SG5. The rest of SG5 is already there on the planet, and Daniel is also there with him. O'Neill hands Barber some money to give to Daniel. They had a bet. O'Neill lost. Carter is curious what the bet was. It was a curling match, okay? They bet on a curling match. Really? Uh, really? Uh, just before the kaboosh, however, Lieutenant Barber bolts up the ramp and is enveloped by the energy of the unstable vortex. Everyone is stunned. Daniel and SG-5 return to the SGC. Daniel is yammering on about this wondrous light he saw on the planet. Jack stops him and tells him the tragic news about Barber. Daniel is shocked. Sitting around the conference table, SG-1 and Hammond contemplate what happened with Lieutenant Barber and what is of value on P4X-347. Daniel is agitated. He can't understand why Barber would kill himself, but he also wants to return to the planet. It, it's got this wondrous light that is absolutely amazing. It's the best thing on the whole planet and well worth studying intently. Daniel also brought some kind of remote control for the light, but it doesn't seem to work on Earth, and he gets a little bit frustrated with this. As the day draws on, Jackson begins yelling at the general, insisting that they leave for P4X 347 immediately. Hammond refuses. They'll leave in the morning as scheduled. That's fine. Jackson is not hearing it, and so O'Neill pulls Jackson away and sends him home. 
The next morning, Daniel fails to report in. He was so excited about going to P4X347 earlier, and now he's not even there to go. So Jackson goes to his home to investigate, and he finds the archaeologist on the edge of his balcony, suffering a major depressive withdrawal symptoms, contemplating jumping. Jack is able to sit with his friend, talking and listening. And in a brief moment of lucidity, Daniel realizes where he is, who Jack is, and allows the colonel to help him off the edge. In the infirmary, Dr. Frazier is able to determine that Daniel has significantly low levels of neural activity that appears to be the result of withdrawal, but there are no unusual substances that the doctor can detect in his system. Unfortunately, the rest of SG-5 is displaying the same symptoms. While Jackson is in the infirmary, the rest of SG-1 go to the planet and discover the room Daniel couldn't stop talking about, the wonders of a giant lava lamp. The three are hypnotized by it. Remarkably, the team is able to pull themselves away from the light to continue their exploration of the palace complex. They find a young boy, boy named Lauren. He claims that his parents have left, but will return soon. SG-1 takes various environmental samples, along with some blood samples from Lauren, and O'Neill returns to Earth to deliver them to the great Dr. Frazier, hoping something can tell them what's wrong with Daniel and SG-5. However, within a short amount of time, O'Neill begins to exhibit similar symptoms as SG-5 and Daniel. Jackson is continuing to deteriorate, and frankly, the rest of SG-1 has already succumbed to the symptoms and died from the side effects. As Daniel's neural activity continues to drop, Dr. Frazier has no choice but to send him back to the planet and hope that whatever is in the palace uh, will be able to save him. O'Neill takes his friend through the wormhole. Once they reach the planet, Jackson begins to slowly recover. There's staring at the light. Hey, the remote Daniel couldn't make work on Earth seems to work amazingly well on the planet. He uses it to turn off the lava lamp. Unfortunately, it was just a lava lamp, and whatever is drugging them up is still operational. There's talking to the boy Lauren. There's wandering around beaches. There's yelling and withdrawal <laughs> symptoms. There's a couple of graves. Lauren's parents, perhaps? There's Lauren's story about how his parents died and how he killed him. Lauren reveals how to actually shut off the device, just not just the light. Uh, but but don't do that because we'll all die if you do that because you know parents they dead uh, Carter is able however to work the system to slowly reduce the effects of the radiation that's drugging them and in a few weeks their brains will be back to normal and they'll be able to return home Lauren will be able to return with them huzzah the end the end Ugh. so Brent uh-huh the light uh-huh what'd you think well, I tell you what. Um, so uh, I'll start with the good. So that tells an awful lot about where I'm going to go with this one. Um, okay. I really thought that the visuals were just amazing. The set design was really good. Uh, the lighting was great. The colors were so good. And then the um, the VFX for the uh, the lamp, the lights was that it was it was great. It was just fantastic. Uh, the uh, I'm still quite uh, on the fanboy train of enjoying to watch the actors play their characters. It's a lot of fun to watch them play their characters, even uh, their characters all a little bit twisted and messed up. Uh, there was at least one part where I was audibly laughing 
when Carter and O'Neill start getting into the shouting match on the beach. Although I think at that point I was just basically trying to find something good. <laughs> so I started yeah. laughing when they got into it. And then um, I was genuinely surprised at how, uh, um, uh, how emotionally connected I was allowing myself to be when Lauren was telling his story uh, at the end of what happened to his parents. And then the thing wrapped up within seconds and they all went home and roll credits. And that was, I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is not a good one. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> like when you were reading your first paragraph of the synopsis, like, that's yeah, pretty much it, right? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yep. Okay. Here we've got ourselves a story about drug addiction because that's what you do at points during a story, I guess. Um, when you want to kind of encapsulate something nice and tidy like it does seem like going into the very special episodes is sort of a way to do it uh there was nothing about this one that really advanced the plot much i don't think uh you know maybe we learned that uh, the gould are addicted to opioids but that's kind of well you know whatever the digital the radiation equivalent of it even that doesn't make a whole lot of sense though no not really it just yeah. no it was so, yeah, so there wasn't an awful lot to like about this one, I don't think, which is a little unfortunate because it really did show that they were putting a lot of effort into making it look good, which is all right, but you can't get anywhere on mm -hmm. just looking good. And um, I also feel a little bad for a guest actor whose name is way up there. I'm not going to worry about it, um, you know, because uh, yeah. Christian Eyre. Thank you. Um, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it was fine. I mean, it was mostly fine. He did as probably as decent of a job as, as one could think to do. Um, but it was just so far fetched. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that it was far fetched. It was just so canned. We've seen this a thousand times, and um, we know where this is going. None of it is novel, and and the audience for it was clearly at least i thought that the audience to take away the moral lesson was the person who would be the parents in that situation um and i guess you could try and target that at young adults and say hey you don't want to end up having your kid like like this but most young adults don't have kids so you know what i mean it was just like it was just, well yeah. then who is this for yeah. really and so yeah I, you know it it ended up turning into 40 some minutes of television that did kind of melted away, but not in a good way. Um, not really. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of good to say. So I don't know, Zach, what did you think about your first, not your first, you're so, watching this many times. How do you feel about this? Yeah. So um, I think I am pretty much in lockstep with, with you on this. Uh, this is not a terribly good episode. I will talk about some of the things that I like. The visuals are amazing. The, the special effects for the light and the way that is done and set up uh, and the little details of the, uh, the palace that they were in are astounding. When they're on the beach and they're walking against yeah. by those huge statues and whatnot, uh, those you know monuments, that's all digital. That's right. Um, which was, is astounding. It's amazing. Yes. Um, uh, that, that's great. When when you get that episode of O'Neill and uh, Daniel in his apartment, and O'Neill has to sit there and try to talk his friend off the edge, literally, uh, that's actually a great scene. And if you want to bring this into the realm of of uh, you know weekly special, 
Um, and if you hear some some weird sound effects on my mic, that's because my cat is rubbing my ah. microphone stand. And uh, <laughs> I can't stop that. <laughs> so, uh, wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, so that, that's actually a great scene and is worth watching because um, uh, O'Neill does a great job of engaging with, yes. without uh, contradicting, without being antagonistic and just kind of living in that that nonsensical moment that Daniel is in. And that's exactly the type of thing that if you were put into that place, you would want to do. So that's a great mm-hmm. moment there. That, that That's really good. Uh, the, the acting that Christian does mm-hmm. when he's Lauren and he's telling about how his parents died uh, is a great moment. They actually talked about that in the commentary. Those are his real mm-hmm. tears. He was able to get yeah. himself to cry. Gotcha. That was yeah. the first take he did. Oh my even. gosh, all right. Um, so, I mean, he just really nailed that there. Um, and, and and that's a really heartfelt moment between him and O'Neill. Um, the, the, the banter at the beginning of the episode, when they're talking about the bet that was uh, made, mm-hmm, um, you know, a little bit... Uh, you know, a little bit forced, but also kind of fun. It's certainly well delivered. Um, I, I could definitely see uh, Daniel and Jack kind of making a side bet as to whether or not Carter would go on a mission or stay sure, home right. and take some vacation time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, and then you kind of have that nice little uh, fun-loving banter that you expect from these characters, and then to just crash into that with the death of Barber is, I mean, if you take just that opening, you're like, holy smokes. Uh, that's an amazing way to open a series. Well, well I, mean, I mean, depending on where you go, though, I mean, you take just that, you're like, whoa, what just happened? How did this break into things? There was something about that opener, though, that uh, that didn't sit well with me after the show started to kind of get going with it, which is the gate was opening up to the source of that of Barber's addiction, right? Like, it, it, it was a little implausible that as he was going through withdrawals, his decision was to commit suicide rather than let that gate open, run on through, and then get a hit. But I also acknowledge this was a bit of a ham-handed episode that didn't do a particularly savvy job talking about this subject. So let's not get too worked up into the particulars about it. Um, but it was a moment of, well, as I was kind of looking about problems. it, going like, eh. Yeah. I mean, I will grant you that how that fits into the rest of the episode is definitely a, you know, you know hammer and you know, big sledgehammer into this process. I mean, just kind of shoves it into there without any type of finesse at all. But if you take that, take aside everything else and not know what's causing it, but, but to have, you know, this, this friendly banter that you're used to. And then all of a sudden somebody runs into the kawush. Um, that by itself is a great opener. Jarring. Uh, what they do with it after that kind of fails. Um, especially since the next thing we see is Daniel walking, um, through the gate, uh, which uh, means that in the the midst of the opening credits, they they communicated with them and were able to shut down the gate and have them redial and come back out, um, right. which makes it a little bit um, implausible that Daniel would not have actually registered at all of Barbara's death, especially when you figure out how he kind of seems to be reacting at the conference room. 
Um, right. You know, so there there are some plausibility things going on there. Uh, another issue I have with this episode is uh, we are led to believe that Lorne has been on this planet for yes. a number of years. Long enough for the... Um, well, I guess There is no planet. evidence of foodstuffs. There's no evidence oh, of, correct. Uh, of a means of sustaining oneself. And he doesn't have any sense... There's nothing in his makeup that would suggest that he has the capacity right. to do the hard uh, living things yeah, to keep going. Yes. Especially when, as uh, you know, especially when he gets to a point, uh, let's assume that he wasn't actually affected early on in his life, that the drugs, the op- the radiation didn't affect him. But as he what entered puberty, uh, we know that at, at this stage of the game, he is addicted to it, and that means he's stuck in the building. Right. Um, so there's no evidence yeah, it, of this whatsoever. It, it, that, and. It, Kind of comes back to that ham-handed aspect about it, right? Like they, it, so, uh, you know, like that little quip I was making earlier about it being so-and-so's first uh, writing credit. It's like, yeah, and it shows like um, the, the stumbling nature of trying to force in a morality tale about drug use um, Mm -hmm. just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There are so many better ways to talk about um, addiction and the dangers of addiction. Uh, and, you know, also, this is also a 20-year-old show. I mean, there's been so much that we've learned about addiction even since then. Um, but that even really at can the time, there us. were better ways of doing yeah, it. Yeah, fair. Talking about yeah, it. totally. And so, like, yeah, it was, it was just clonking around, basically. I mean, it felt... Um, in hindsight, it feels like an episode which is well, you know. Hey, I think I know why. You know, it won a Leo for its uh, for its um, visual production, for its production uh, design, um, and yeah, I can see why it was great. Uh, and it, the cinematographer was the director on it, and this newbie was a writer on it. It uh, they made it look really good. They really did make it look good, and our guest actor did a fine job in acting that one really important scene at the end, but nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing added up. Nothing added up at all. Uh, and so as a result, like, you know, I cannot suspend my disbelief enough to enjoy the episode. Like, it just yep. just didn't work. Yep. Um, I do want to, this is a good place. Um, uh, here's a quote from Joseph Malozzi. He's one of the writer, executive producer mm-hmm. type folks. Uh, he says, in the final quarter of the show's fourth season, uh, while the final quarter of the show's fourth season delivers some great hits, it also offers up a few misses. This episode being a big one in my books. Mm. The beat of Jack rushing Daniel back to the planet aside, uh, the episode never really delivers. Surprising given what was up to this point a fairly strong season. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I would agree with that. That uh, this this is one that just misses. Um you know, and well, I don't think it that it's. Makes... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's it's not that Peter West is a bad director. Uh, you know, I mean, he did a fine job directing. Uh, the visuals are amazing there, and it yes. works. And and he gets great things out of those actors, and he's able to to tie the story with the various shots for all the things in a wonderful way. He tells the story well. The story itself just isn't very good. Yeah. 
No. Uh, and it makes it, I think it makes a degree of sense. Uh, when you're trying to create an episodic show, uh, how, you know, you're always on the search for stories that can be wrapped up in 40 minutes. That's the nature of it. Uh, part of the joy yep. of s- television storytelling in the past couple of decades has been that shift into the more season long or series long stories that can develop. And when they're done right, boy, they are really, really good. But, um, Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, you end up having to invest an awful lot of time if you're wanting to do it. Otherwise, you, you know, it's, it's tough to get into the middle of one of those things. But uh, yeah, here we are. It's early 2000s. And so episodic television is still quite, you know, it, it's quite the thing. So this is a, a self-encapsulated story in the nature of sci-fi episodic television. But the problem is, you know, this one feels like a filler. And it feels like a filler that that kind of really missed the mark. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't hit. I'm just wondering if missing the mark is the right metaphor to use. But whatever. You know, it's it's not that good. Uh, it's curious to me, though, that they decided to spend as much um, time and effort into the visuals of it. Like, I can't imagine that as they were making it, they, fought, they felt like this was a great story. Um, hmm. Maybe they felt like it was a necessary story, but I can't imagine that they felt like it was a great story. And at the end of the day, kind of doesn't matter, right? You got to come up with 20 some show, you know, 20 some episodes. And you already know if you're in television, you probably already know. Yeah, there's going to be some that are some that are stinkers. But, you know, you just deal, um, you know, you, 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 you create your clip show and you have your five minutes of looking stern into the camera and then you let the editors take care of the rest um, or whatever. Right. You know, you're similar. Uh, you're similar low energy uh, effort. But to invest significant amounts of resources into the visuals of this one um felt curious to me as i was watching it like you know like from that point of view they really wanted it to succeed and you know it was shot pretty well and it was definitely lit well and um the acting of course was good because our uh our actors are very good at portraying their roles uh and it just kind of I don't know. Maybe they were just, you know, maybe this was just one where they were like, yeah, sure. I mean, no, this isn't that great of a story, but we'll give it our best and move on to the next one. Like, maybe that's where they were at. Yeah. And I don't know the history of, of it, but uh, there you have it. There you have it. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot more than I need to say about this episode. <laughs> nope. I don't have a whole lot more either. <laughs> That's kind of why I was so, hoping that the synopsis was literally one paragraph long. Because <laughs> that's about all there is to say. Oh, I, I, I seriously contemplated yeah. uh, doing something like that. But I'm like, no, I need to do something a little bit yeah, more. Although it's I better did kind that of you did a slur the end a little bit there. You, it, well, but so. the ending slurred. That was the other thing, too, is that it went, it mean, like, it it was uh, at its best light lighting and yeah, the lighting was good if, at its best light and the light uh, that, you know, it was trying to tell a serious tale. I mean, like it was a, it was a joke that you made at the beginning, a very special episode, but I mean, it was, it, it really was trying to tell a story of warning, a moral, a moral cautionary tale about, uh, about addiction. Um, and it really f- that was the other thing that kind of like blew my mind is that it felt like they forgot how much time they like it really wrapped up fast like super fast and i didn't care because yeah. i was like all right good enough good yeah let's get out of here um but i mean well, we went from 
crying yeah. about our parents to literally rolling credits in probably 90 seconds. I didn't actually check, but it was very fast. It was pretty quick. So yesterday as I was watching this episode, and so last week as we were talking, I said that, that this time around, as I watch this episode, I'm doing... I'm being very intentional about actually watching and paying very close attention to the episodes. This is an episode, admittedly, I had a long day yesterday, so when I was watching it, it was, I was kind of tired, but, but, uh, I had the hardest time with this episode to actually pay attention. I just wanted to play a game on my phone or something and let it wash over me. And I'm like, no, no, pull the phone away. Open your eyes. Look at the screen. You must watch. And I'm like, okay. Okay, <laughs> I'll do that. I mean, the pacing was yes. also, it was just really slow at parts. I mean, it, it just yeah, wasn't that good. Yep. All right. Well, Brent, yes. then I turn to you and I ask you, this episode, The Light, mm-hmm. you have now mm-hmm. seen The Light. It has <laughs> shaped your present uh, in some manner. And I ask you, on a scale oh, of, say, one to seven... Where, yeah. how much shaping has this done for you? So, uh, I did like looking at it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I'm cracking myself up so much about that one. But, you know, that's about it. I really liked looking at it. Um, uh, yeah, story was garbage, man. Let's be honest. Um, acting was fine. They did a fine job. They, they did a stand-up job. It was beautifully shot, man. Holy cow, did that thing look pretty. But there was no substance. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I can't see myself giving it more than two, honestly. It was nice to look at, but story does it for me, man. And if there's no story, I don't know. I'm out. Two out of seven. Yep. Yep. Two out of seven. I am looking at this episode, and I was actually in my head. I'm trying to decide. Um, I w- the number in my head was about a two. And I was trying mm-hmm. to decide if the visuals and all of that stuff is enough to make it a two and a half. It's definitely right. not enough to make it a three. <laughs> um, and I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm going to say no. It just is simply a two. I'm going to agree with you 100% on that. It's a two yeah. episode. Yep. Okay. Now, this one is one. Well, this, is, this is one to skip. Yes. Yep. We do have uh, some predictions yeah. for this episode. I can't wait to hear these. And uh, yeah, this is going to be exciting here. Um, let's set this up here. Okay, here we have Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. And she says, After a couple of very emotional, impactful episodes with threads that touch the meta, we go back to a contained episode with events that are never mentioned again. Nothing gets added to the universe, and the character exploration isn't as deep as the previous episodes. Three out of seven for Brent, and two and a half out of seven for Zach. Super close. Super duper close. Super duper close. Um, and uh, I say, well, yeah, mm-hmm. that was, that's what, okay, we have more. We have Anna. Anna says, Hi, Anna. for some reason, this has never been a favorite episode of mine, but I'm thinking you guys might like it a little bit better than me. I'm going to go with five chevrons for both of you mm. and a four for her. Uh, well, Anna, you didn't like this episode so much, and we liked it even less than you. Yeah. 
<laughs> the best thing. I mean, like I genuinely was interested in the symbols on the on the on the, on the pillars. They were mentioned. It was they were difficult to train. You know, la la la. It, it was just a thing that that was said then moved on. But that was probably one of the more interesting parts of the whole thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, JD says hi, JD. I say this is this one is a two. Yeah. So JD, we agree with you. It is a two. When I watch it, I feel like I'm watching uh, a light and time is standing still. Mm-hmm. So four. So he says, therefore, fours or fives, since they yes, always go opposite. Right. Yeah, <laughs> because of the because of the opposite problem. Yep. Well, unfortunately, we are doing the opposite of the opposite. Uh, JD, so. we, we are absolutely in lockstep with what you believe in this episode. Yep. I think. Yep. Uh, he says, "I'll say five for Brent because the interaction with the kid isn't annoying and drags the episode." But charming and reminds us that O'Neill is a family man in need of a family. Yeah, or from uh, yes. Zach because it doesn't add anything to the arc of the story. But we really understand how much Daniel loves getting high on space stuff. <laughs> 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 he does. Daniel does have a tendency, doesn't he? He does have a uh, predisposition for uh, you know taking taking hits on the on the uh, interspecies uh, power trips in yeah. any, in any way. Yeah. Uh, I mean. N- rarely is it something that he like chooses for himself, but he does seem to get stuck in that quite often. Yes, he does. Uh, Julie says... Hi, Julie. I don't think you will like it that much. Zach will give it a two and a half, and Brent will give it a three. Yep, pretty low. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it, was, it was even worse than that. So, um, those are our Facebook messages, but we do have nice. some emails. Oh, good. Yep. Uh, the first email today comes from Arnacht. Hey, Arnacht. This might totally interrupt the flow of the episode. Okay, so here we go. Uh, with Brent, I must ask why Daniel Jackson's set of memories from his dreamt year, which is a lot. I'm a bit disappointed this episode didn't get go the way of the inner light oh. or hard time and talk about the psychological impact of that much lost time. Didn't include, you know, all the detailed plans and schematics that he learned and used to build death rays in space. Sure, sure. Of course, it's possible that he does know how to build the satellites, but refuses to use the knowledge since he knows what would happen if he did. Um, I've so got a quick, that's an interesting question. Quick theory there. in so much as that, uh, you know how when you're dreaming, your, t- your sense of time is completely messed up? And how things are just considered as rote that, you know, you you are you're you're in one place one moment and then the very next moment you're someplace completely different. And you're like, yeah, this is, makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I bet you that the cut between one year and the next happened in Daniel's brain. And he was like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Everything's built yeah. already. So uh, I, I, w- I would also wager that uh, while Daniel actually remembers the dream. Uh, yeah. remember, remembers having the dream, remembers coming up with plans that did all of this stuff. I doubt that he actually remembers the specifics of uh, how he actually went about building those devices. So I don't think he has that. He has the emotional realities of what happened, but I don't think he has the the cognitive connection to the spell. Yep. In any case, Arnacht continues, as to the light, yes. I think that Zach and Brent will find it middling at best. Mm, at yes, best. the cast are good. And the set design is good, but they're both wasted on this story. I predict that Brent will give this episode three chevrons and that Zach will also give it three chevrons. Yeah. Uh, Your your analysis there, Arnacht, is 
right on. Right on the money. Uh, we just didn't like it even near as much as that. <laughs> nope. So we have another email from Austin. Hey, Austin. Austin says, is this a good episode? What kind of expletive question is that? Not really an episode <laughs> that I always remember uh, the series for, but am always delighted upon a rewatch. Although it does not advance the plot along, Christian Eyre and Richard Dean Anderson both do very well in their scenes together. Agreed. When Lauren Agreed. is first introduced and when he reveals the story about his parents. Nothing too yes. deep or thought-provoking here other than SG-1's gross incompetence to find the, quote, off switch. Four uh, and a fair. half for Zach and five for Brent, says Austin. Mm. Yeah, not, and, no, and, wasn't uh, feeling. Wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I respect your opinion, Austin. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and I, I look at this episode, and while I acknowledge that that scene between RDA and Christian Air in is, is a great scene, that does not do it for me. So at the risk of uh, insulting people that are finding it uh, uh, a, a decent episode, a thought literally just crossed my mind. I am not a person who grew up in a situation where I could relate to Lauren, but I wonder if I was a person who could relate to Lauren, how I might feel about this episode. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I didn't watch it that way. It didn't connect with me that way at all. Um, but and and I thought it was a morality tale to people being like, don't do drugs. But if I was a person who had parents who were addicted, even if I wasn't responsible for their death per se, like, I just wonder. Uh, yeah, that, you know, that, yeah. that's a really uh, interesting change of perspective on this episode, Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all about trying to change the perspective on things because I believe that if you can take whatever it is and turn it around and look at it from a different mm-hmm. angle, all of a sudden new things come out and you might see the value and the beauty in something far greater than, yeah. than uh, if you maintain your own current perspective on that. That's true in every aspect of life and it's remarkably hard to do, but go do that folks because it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I got a brew on that one. I don't have a ready like answer and I'm certainly not changing my vote, but um, but it just crossed my mind and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm pondering it. Yeah, that, that was definitely something that would be um, worth rethinking about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the story isn't about don't do drugs, but how on some level uh, a child who experienced drug addiction in his or her family uh, finds a new family um, and tries to save them and protect them in some ways, but also address his own loneliness and emptiness. Uh, That's a totally different perspective and might be more, might make me more inclined to give this a better rating. Maybe. I don't know. I'd I have don't to think, think about that. it succeeds. Yeah, I don't think it succeeds at that story that well either, frankly. However, um, I might have, you know what I'm saying? So actually, like, even if I put that spin on it, it would probably only raise it up maybe a couple of, of chevrons in my mind if I had that emotional hook. But even still, it kind of didn't really work that well on that one either. It just yep. struggled. Yep. Okay. We do have a couple more uh, predictions, but yeah. we have from David, who says, Hi, David. can light be buffered like a Chevron bias? No, no, it can't be buffered. Uh, he says, 
This is an important episode, he says. Maybe not a great episode, but an important one. This okay. might even be a very special episode of Stargate SG-1, like all the 80s shows used to have. It does not advance the overall Stargate plot, but it does deal with some important subjects. Addition, addiction, yes. depression, suicide. Without Fair. going into details, these are issues I've had to deal with in my extended family. The scene yeah, okay. that did it for me is when Jack is trying to keep Daniel from jumping. That is a great scene. Uh, mm-hmm. The Whatever the problem is, we'll fix it line from Jack, hoping that it's just as simple as that to Daniel's look of utter dejection at Jack saying that. Mm-hmm. That hit hard. Of course, in the end, all they had to do was turn off the thing and that, that was causing the problem so that it really didn't address the real issues of mental health and the source right. of the addiction. Uh, was not a choice, but hey, it's a TV show and they can't solve major problems like this right. in 42 minutes. They made a good attempt, though. Um, All right. He says, Brent, five chevrons, Zach, five chevrons. I'm also mm-hmm. adding a plus one bump to make it six for both of them because this is a good discussion episode considering the subject matter. Uh, you know, we, we were just talking about that, David, uh, a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, I think you're absolutely right to those topics. Um, that, that's that's a new perspective. You know, that, that line, uh, just whatever it is, we can fix it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as somebody who has had uh, episodes of depression in his own life, talking about myself, mm-hmm. um, uh, that line of we can fix it is also a, a, a terrible line to hear because uh, you can't fix it. Uh, right. You know, when when I am in that moment, uh, I am thankful that those moments are getting more and more rare for me. And when they happen, they are getting shorter and shorter. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that. But in those moments, uh, just going to fix it, just saying to fix it, we can fix it, right. isn't helpful. Um, and Daniel does show that dejection. So I'm going to acknowledge that yeah. while also yeah. acknowledge what I said earlier, that even in the midst of that, uh, Jack had a probably misstep there, but he stayed with it. He stayed connected um, and and was able to to be there in that moment when Daniel's like, whoa, okay, um, I, I need I need to move. And he was there. and And that was a great moment. And that's the hardest feeling being, because I've also been on the other side of things, helping somebody and working with somebody mm-hmm. who is dealing with depression. And that feeling of helplessness is real. That wanting to say, you know what? It's not as bad as you think it is. And most of the time, it's really not. But that doesn't change right, right. anything uh, for the person. And so, but just, just to sit there and to, to sit in that uncomfortableness, hoping that maybe, maybe they can, they can see something that, that you can, uh, you know, help them at least step off of that ledge. Uh, it doesn't change anything. Uh, it doesn't change the depression or anything, but it's still a moment there. Uh, those are mm-hmm. really good things. Um, and here again, if I was able to look at this episode from a different perspective, uh, I, I could probably see myself rating it higher for the the content, the attempt at the content, um, even if the story I still think is uh, not uh, this, ideal. Mm-hmm, I think that uh, probably what I probably should take away from this one is that, uh, you know, in the same vein that I absolutely 
100% stand behind the crazy ratings of episodes that I've given in the past for certain things just because of what it was doing for me personally, acknowledging that it was just for me. Like I don't need the rest of the world to have the same experience as me for everything, not even close. But, you know, certain episodes really worked well for me. This one wasn't. And I think that it has a lot to do that I have had quite the privilege of not having to wrestle with much of the stuff that was talked about in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I have had plenty of experience uh, being uh, uh, around folks and influenced by folks who have to degrees uh, wrestled with some of these things, but not to the same levels. And certainly uh, evidently not in the same levels of, of compassion inducing um, engagement that other folks have had. So basically what I'm really dancing around is recognizing that uh, the subject matter alone might be enough to have a person watch this episode and feel like they're being heard. And that matters a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That matters a lot. And yeah, sure. uh, Here I am bagging on it. Me, me, me. I I stand behind me being merp, merp. But um, I also am willing to completely step aside and say, look, yeah. It didn't resonate with me, but I'm going to be, let me step aside and let somebody else say, no, no, this has value. Here's why. It is not a universally panable, is that even a word? It's not an episode that can be universally panned, Uh, you know. If if a folk if a person watches this and feels heard and seen, that and game over, like it's good. It's a fine. It's a good. It's a fine episode. The value of that trumps anything I would say. Yep. Agreed. Um, Yep. We do have one more prediction. This is Ah, from Caleb. He says the light was one of the worst of the season. Seems drag Mm -hmm. on and was predictable. My predictions are Brent two, Zach. Hey, Caleb got it. Caleb got it right. Hooray. Congratulations, Caleb. Well done, Caleb. Uh, On that. So uh, thank you very much, all of you who sent your predictions in. Thank you for the added conversation to this. Thank you for helping me look at this episode in a different perspective. I'm not going to change my rating. Nope. But after listening to some of these comments, then, you know, I could definitely rewatch this episode uh, and look at it from a different perspective mm-hmm. and see it from a different angle and uh, then maybe even change my rating as a result of that. Uh, which, if you want to see that happen, yes, Patreon. Yeah, you can do it. There you go. You have the power. I'm really liking... Uh, I uh, Zach, when we started this little project, I did not anticipate that this would turn into kind of a bigger discussion with lots of folks. Like, this is fun. Yeah. Uh, Having the conversation with you and me, having our reaction to it, getting other people's inputs on it, like it really enriches the experience quite a lot. Yep. I mean, when we started this process, I hoped that we would have some sort of listener interaction, that we would be sure. able to engage with those who listen to the podcast, those who are enjoying this content and all of that stuff. Uh, but I never expected uh, this kind of uh, engagement in this way and and I am delighted by it and I really really enjoy this process and I say thank mm-hmm. you very much all of you listeners who uh, send in those predictions and uh, give us thoughts especially ones that are different than ours um, and and give us a chance to, to chew on some of these things in a new and different way I appreciate that I love that that's one of my favorite yeah. parts absolutely okay Brent 
Yes. The next episode of Stargate SG-1 is entitled Prodigy. Mm-hmm. And so I ask you, what is Prodigy all about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. A world where communication seems to be curiously slow, difficult to achieve. They are used to a bit quicker pace of information exchange coming from the 21st century. But here they find themselves curiously stuck in a strange era where things are a little bit more difficult. The noise of screeching and beeping seems to emanate from distant places. As they put together that they're listening to the screeches of a 44k baud modem. Is that even a oh thing my. I can remember anymore? <laughs> At which point they realize that they are trapped in a prodigy ad from 1994. <gasps> oh, Join us next time on Stargate SG-1, where our heroes try to get themselves back from the very recent past and escape the clutches of extremely slow dial-up with prodigy okay so um when i was in high school we mm-hmm. got a tandy 2400 nah. might have been a 2500 uh-huh. i can't remember now it's a long time ago uh and if you listeners you've never heard of a tandy i'm not surprised in any case uh there it is uh it it, it it's a radio shack's attempt at a personal computer um, which actually wasn't a bad attempt. I was going to say, it's it's beloved. I know lots of people that love their old Tandys. I don't yeah. know if they still have them, but you know. Um, but we had in that uh, machine a modem that was right around 4,400, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but my dad refused to let me get online and dance around the bulletin boards and all of that stuff at sure. that point in time. So this would have been uh, in the mid-1990s. Uh, and I remember distinctly one of my friends in my senior, uh, uh, in the my, my class yearbook as a senior, he was writing in, yeah. says, I can't believe you have this 4,400 baud modem that you won't use when <laughs> I have this 1,000 baud modem and I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's not my fault. It's not hey. my fault. Oh, man. The amount of time, the amount of time spent on AOL. And then somebody would pick up the line. You know, you'd have your phone oh, and someone yep. else in the house, and they'd yep. pick up the line, screech, and then knock you offline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the old suffice days. it to say, Brent, uh, the episode Prodigy of Stargate SG-1 from 2001 does not have anything to do with uh, internet from the mid-90s. Well, that's a disappointment. I'm sorry, but it's the way it is. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> Shall we watch the promo and and, uh, discover what Prodigy is all about? Yes, let's do that. All right, here we go. I am hitting record, or not record, play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. But on the other hand, the aerodynamics that are one day going to allow you to fly an F-22 started out with squiggles on a board just like this one. A brilliant Air Force cadet catches the attention of Major Carter. This is wrong. And on a remote planet, a newly discovered life form is turning hostile. Jennifer Haley is no longer our problem. Cadet Haley 
As far as I'm concerned, you've demonstrated a remarkable inability to be a functioning member of the United States Air Force. Oh dear. Major Carter uh -oh. has a future in mind for you, and I respect Major Carter's opinion. Uh -oh. It's your future. Hey, oh, it's not mine! Will Major Carter turn yeah. the young cadet's life around or lead her to certain doom? Ooh, nice. Uh, it's all Thanks next time on yes. Stargate SG-1. Uh, oh dear! Oh my! Oh goodness! Oh oh! Do you think that? Uh, do you think it, it uses the swarm mechanic, Zach? The um, life form? You know, I'm I'm sure that it uses some method of swarm mechanic because well, it's yeah. a swarm. It's a swarm. You're you're firing into a swarm. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. And yes, you did hear it. Uh, this is the episode where I pulled our opening tag. Uh, yeah. What is it? It's the Stargate. It's your future. Uh, that comes from this episode, Prodigy. Well, uh, I mean, I listened. Yeah, I listened to that opener every single week because I mixed the I mixed the show, and I and I'm I have thought to myself a number of times, like, I wonder when this is going to come in. There it yeah. is. There it is. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, this is the episode where we first learned the lyrics. In the commentary to the uh, uh, oh, opening yeah. song, uh, which I <laughs> shared with you a, a number of times ago. New trip. Yep. Or even a ship. We're talking There's Colonel O'Neill and Carter and Daniel and Dilk. Watch out for... The I'm not hitting my notes at all, Zach. Of course, I didn't warm up either, so I'm not going to blame myself too much. Plus, that okay. interval is a weird one. Because mm -hmm. it is... A, what is it, a seventh? Uh, something like... I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, because it's not an octave. It's not an octave. Uh, anyway. But anyway, that's all next time on Prodigy. And what yeah. we've learned is that neither one of us are musical prodigies. I didn't warm up. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Okay, fine. Brent's a musical prodigy. He just didn't warm up. <laughs> gotta, you got to give me a chance here, dude. I just, I'm a musician, I but I'm not a prodigy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a prodigy. I'm not just whatever. Okay. Anyway, okay. So, thank you very much, David, for putting yes. the promos together. Thank we you, appreciate them a lot. Tell totally. us what you think about this episode. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at StargateWalking. Go to the Facebook page and the Facebook group and share your thoughts and comments and uh, keep this thing going and alive yeah. and uh, have fun. Yeah, this was, uh, this was good. This was uh, this. I, the conversation really that was nice. Reading through those uh, predictions, that was pretty great. Yes, it was. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.